What is up, everybody? Welcome to Today I Learned Bitcoin. This show, we deep dive into learning Bitcoin topics. That's right. We're bringing you down the rabbit hole with us. Um, looking for a way to learn more about Bitcoin, teach others, and document our journey along the way. Uh, so today we have my amazing co-host, Jason. Bring him up here. Say what up, Jason. What's up, guys? How are we all doing out? Great to see you, man. Awesome. Very excited. This is our first episode. Um, so we're just kind of figuring this thing out. So bear with us. But we've got a pretty awesome topic, um, some things to cover today. Hopefully, you know, we're going to learn something. Right, Jason? We hope so. Awesome. Well, Jason, why don't you start by telling us a little bit about, you know, your journey? How, you know, how'd you get into Bitcoin in the first place? Um, <clears throat> you know, let's just start there. Yeah, 100%, man. Well, obviously, I owe some of that credit to, uh, to, to yourself. But uh, I would say, you know, within, within the last few years, I've been getting kind of more and more into the crypto scene. I know we, we shouldn't use that word, but I'll, I'll give some context here. Um, yeah, I mean, up until very recently, I was kind of just, you know, like, like most the way most millennials, I feel like get into this crypto is kind of the new hot topic trying to find that coin that's going to 10x, 100x, you know, and there's a lot of shit out there, right? And so I we had some money. In, yeah, we all want to get rich. So I had some money in Bitcoin. I had some in Ethereum. I had some, this one I'm really ashamed of. I had some in, in crypto.com coin for a while. Uh, there's nothing left. It's all gone. <laughs> but, uh, but you get my point, right? It was it was kind of just a lot of trading, uh, sometimes even day trading, just kind of kind of just throwing shit at the wall, seeing what sticks, right? And then uh, I started talking to yourself, Alec, uh, probably almost about a year ago, and and you, you know, you're an old friend of mine, but we hadn't seen each other in a while, and you'd become very passionate about Bitcoin specifically, and I remember. During that conversation, I was like, oh, yeah, man, I'm, I'm into crypto, too. And, and you had the, the fire in your eyes when I said that. And you're like, I said Bitcoin, not crypto. <laughs> so so that's kind of what spurred this. And we, we kept it pretty high level. But you were explaining some things to me about, you know, some of the key differentiators of Bitcoin versus the hundreds and thousands of other coins out there. And that's really where it all started for me and became something like a deeper layer than just how can I throw my money into some shit and hope to make more money, but kind of get to the root cause of why do some of these things exist? Um, so that, that's what got me going on it. Yeah, man. Awesome. Well, let's clear the air. Nobody should be ashamed if you're into crypto. That's probably how 99% of people get into bitcoin in the first place 100%. you know you start trading you're trying you know you're you're after the gains just like everyone else uh but you know you burn your hand on the stove uh you got to learn your lesson you know it's awfully referred to you know paying your your price of tuition um tons of different sayings out there for it but i would say that's super common you know i i came from the same place uh went into crypto learned about Bitcoin and never looked back, fell down the rabbit hole. And that's exactly why we're here uh, to learn more about Bitcoin. That's such a broad topic. There's so much to learn and it makes sense why, 
you know, the average person doesn't quite get it at this point um, and are very attracted to, to all the, you know, shit coins out there. Uh, everybody loves the hype and the buzzwords and the marketing schemes, right? Bitcoin doesn't have any of that. It takes work to, to truly, you know, understand. So I'm just glad you took my words. You went after, you know, you started your own journey to, to learn about Bitcoin. And, you know, it's awesome that, that we're here today to talk about it more and learn about it more. Um, so I know you had, you know, a couple things on the top of your mind. You've been going through, you know, doing your proof of work, reading some awesome Bitcoin books. I know you went through the Bitcoin Standard um, by Saifedean. And you also, I don't know if you've completed yet. Did you finish uh, Jason Williams' book? No, I'm right in the middle of it right now, and I'm loving it so far. I've also uh, just finished The Bullish Case for Bitcoin, A Gift from Yourself, and uh, that, that was a really good read as well. So, yeah, there's a lot of great information out there. I'm trying to absorb as much as I can. I could probably, you know, up that a little bit. But I think the biggest shift for me and the, the biggest thing at the top of my mind right now is I went from this mentality of, like, how can I grow my, my USD by investing in whatever is going to go up overnight the fastest, right? To to like, a, what, what's the best store of value? And what's going to protect me from what's going on with, with the USD right now? And the more I dug into that, you know, I think when you, when you really start to get into Bitcoin and break it down, you almost have to unlearn a lot of things. You have to go back and, and kind of recognize like, the, the fiat money system is all we've ever known our entire lives. And you have to go back and unlearn some of that. And you have to really see how troubled things have become and how troubled, I guess, the, the general, um, everything about the fiat system really is. And then it starts to make sense. You, you start to put things together in a problem solution format where the problem is, we have this monetary system that's managed by a team of people or managers. We, we don't refer to them as managers, but that's what they are. Our economy is managed right now, and it's not truly a free market. Uh, and we don't have a sound, hard money that's scarce, that has a finite supply. We have something that can be very easily tampered with, very easily manipulated, and just inflated. And uh, I, I think you'll hear that word a lot in the coming minutes and the coming episodes, but you hear it a lot already, right? And that's what this is all about, is how to protect against the kind of unprecedented inflation that we're seeing today. And, and honestly, we have it very mild here in the U.S. It's, it's tearing countries apart elsewhere. So, Yeah, man, it's pretty crazy. Like, if you think back... You know, the American Revolution was started over what, like a two or three percent tax, like what we're going through today. And everybody's just going about life like it's nothing. We have 10 percent CPI inflation right on top of everything else, which we're, we're going to cover. We've got a few charts to look at <laughs> that that kind of talks about these different things. But, yeah, it's just it's just wild that, you know, the average person is not even thinking about this like and if they are you know i'm sure everyone's noticing price changes things like that but they don't know exactly 
why, uh, you know, it, corporate greed or, you know, there's a war, you know, these are the downstream effects of, you know, what, what's happening. It's what we're feeling, but nobody understands what, what's causing it, you know, what's behind it. Um, we just, you know, kind of blindly follow these leaders and elect these politicians that, you know, who knows what they're doing. I don't understand the entire system, but we know there's an option and there's a way out of it. And that's, that's, that's why we're both in Bitcoin, right? Absolutely. And, and I think a, a big part of that is, you know, we've become almost complacent with what's happening. We don't like it. We talk about it. We bring it up at Thanksgiving. We usually attribute it to a politician or a president uh, because that's our level of understanding. And the system is wildly overcomplicated. In fact, it's almost humorous the way they interchange different terms for inflation or quantitative easing, right? Which is money printing. And it's just like, it's, they do that. It's done in such a way that you kind of just, you dislike it, but you accept it. And it takes so much work to really dig into it and see that there even is an opt-out alternative like Bitcoin. And it's a big thing, right? When you're trying to, to get your mom to understand Bitcoin or something, or even myself, like trying to unlearn the, the U.S. dollar as, as not being like the most reliable, stable thing in terms of like a, a monetary reserve. It's pretty crazy. It's almost like taking somebody who's been super religious their whole life and asking him to suddenly become atheist, right? It's like we have only known this system our whole lives. It's convoluted. It's overly complex. And it's not easy to find something else. Yeah. I mean, it, it takes a complete paradigm shift. Like you mentioned, it's like, you know, trying to get someone off their religion. Literally, like nobody even understands what money is. They think a U.S. dollar, that's that's money. It's a, it's a currency. It's a, a version of money, a very centralized, controlled thing that we, you know, use as money. But they don't understand the basis of what what money is, what it can be, different versions of it, you know, why one is better than another, right? There's how many countries in the world, how many different currencies, they're they're all money, but nobody actually understands what what that really means. Um, so I think I mean to me that's one of the most important first steps uh to to understanding you know, Bitcoin or really the world we live in today, like money is something every single person on the planet uses every single day and they know nothing about it. That's the craziest thing to me. It's what I think. Yeah. And when you really zoom out, Alec, like people don't know what money's been. If you look back a thousand years of human existence, this kind of, we'll call it paper money, but it's not really paper anymore. It's, it's fiat money has taken up such a small percentage of what currency and money has been over the last X number of, of centuries, right? I mean, we've had stones, seashells, cattle, uh, and then we had gold. And we had gold for a very long time. And gold was the closest thing that we as humans ever had as a sound money. And we had that because of its properties. It's scarce. 
You can't just wake up one day and say, oh, I'm going to go add a whole bunch of gold to the supply because we need to bail out some banks or some businesses need help. Or we had a COVID-19 pandemic and we want to send a bunch of gold out to assist, you know, whomever. You can't do that because gold is really goddamn hard to go get more of. And that's where it gets its value from. And you juxtapose that against like the U.S. dollar, which originally was pegged to gold for a long time uh, until 1971 when Nixon undid that. And the U.S. dollar is just like literally the Federal Reserve can wake up and say like, oh, okay, Silicon Valley Bank, you know, we like these guys are in trouble. Who, what, whatever bank is, we're gonna go add a zero to the end of the number that's already on our balance sheet. And it's not even printing money. It's not even physically making paper anymore. It's just going into the computer and adding a zero at the end of the number that's already there. And that money gets loaned out to banks, right? And uh, I think kind of a, a cool and maybe oversimplified way to think of this is like you're in the desert. Everybody's like super thirsty and just like desperately needing some water. And then there's a big fountain, right? And the people close to the fountain are going to drink the most water. The people at the end of that line, they might get a droplet or two at the bottom. And that's us, right? The Federal Reserve is the fountain. The central banks are right there next in line. They're getting loaned all of that newly printed money first. They're taking that money and they're loaning it out to companies. And a lot of these companies are literally taking that and going and buying up their own stock to drive the stock prices up, which gets them wealthy. And that's how you often hear like, oh, the rich get rich and the, the poor stay poor. But like, I mean, guys, like that's, again, I'm oversimplifying just a bit, but that that's what's going on. <laughs> I mean, it, it just seems those closest to the money printer receive the money, right? We've always had a trickle down economy. Um, you know, it's the cantillionaire effect. Um, you know, COVID was a great example of that when, you know, they started doing the, the PPP loans and, and stimulus checks, right? Like so much money flowed into businesses, probably ones that, you know, some didn't need it or, you know, just ones that probably would have failed anyway, but was propped up for, you know, more time simply because they were injected with cash. Um, yeah, man, it's, it's crazy. Uh, I can't even straighten out all my thoughts on that, but so, <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot. And like, I think what it boils down to is, you know, say Alec, for example, you know, you got $5,000 in your checking account right now. And say that the Fed goes and injects $3 trillion into the economy, okay? Your small pile of $5,000 just became exponentially smaller. It's devalued. It is worth less. That, that's what inflation is, right? We think about inflation, we think about gas prices. We think about that loaf of bread that you used to get for $1.99 at the store, and now it's $3.49, and yeah, those things are true. They're right in front of us. But that's not the large scale piece of, of what's really happening. Inflation is injecting money out of thin air. It is creating it out of thin air. It's injecting it into the economy. 
And it's injecting it oftentimes into large central banks and the stock market. And then a little bit to you, right? That's your $1,000 stimmy that you got in COVID. We love it. We love it, right? A little bit goes to you, but it's not enough to, to offset the debasement that's happening with the currency. Not yeah. even close. Yeah, 100%. And just, you know, to kind of pivot this over to Bitcoin, you know, a feature I would love to see in, in a bank account is instead of showing me how many dollars I have, what if it showed the percentage of money supply that you own? I'm sure everyone would understand and realize inflation at that point. You know, it's not just that bread went from $1.50 to $2.50 or $3, right? You would physically see your purchasing power decreasing live in real time. Yeah. But they would never 100%. do that, right? And, you know, looking at Bitcoin with its set supply at $21 million, if I look at my Bitcoin balance, I know exactly the percentage of the money supply, and that will never change. No, it can't. It can't. So, I mean, that's that's the defining property of Bitcoin to kind of tie together, you know, some of the things we talked about in the intro of investing. I mean, there are now thousands of coins out there, right? Thousands of shit coins out there. These shit coins are kind of a rebranding of the fiat system in a lot of ways in that they are minted out of thin air or burned, you know, but they're managed. They're managed by a company or a team of people. Uh, and that's not truly something that's decentralized, right? And Bitcoin is, is truly the only decentralized cryptocurrency out there in that no human being, no matter how strongly they wanted to, even its creator, Satoshi Nakamoto, could, could go change that. It's set. There will never be more than 21 million you will never produce a block more frequently than 10 million or excuse me, 10 minutes every 10 minutes. And like every four years, that block reward, that subsidy gets cut in half. And like, those are the core fundamentals that just will, they can't be negotiated. They can't be changed. They can't be manipulated or altered. And that's why Bitcoin, I mean, it's, it's, it's a better version of gold that improves on gold because even with gold, Although we, we anticipate that most of it's above ground right now, we still don't know the supply. It's still unknown. With I'm Bitcoin, sure we there know there was a the survey supply. that just found a ton of gold uh, in Ghana, I think was the country in Africa. So we know there's still a lot. There's still a lot in the ground. There's still some out there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, well, let's jump in. We you you brought a, a few charts to to cover today so let's get let's get started on these if if that's okay with you yeah absolutely man pull them up all right let's get this thing popped up here so we're starting out with <laughs> mr kramer if anyone has been trading the inverse kramer you're absolutely killing it but <laughs> why don't you tell us why you thought you thought bringing yeah kramer here was important yeah yeah so so i'm reading uh uh the book right now we, we talked about earlier, it's by Jason Williams. It's uh, I think it's called Bitcoin hard money. You can't fuck with, which is, I, I love it. Um, but this is, this is a snippet from that book actually. And it's powerful image. It does cut off at the bottom, but you see here, it says the Dow's best week since 1938. This was sometime in 2020. Uh, 
I, it was shortly after March when everything like just totally tanked. Right. And like we, there was so much panic and unknown, especially among wall street. And, um, I think within a few months time, $3.3 trillion were injected into the economy. Right. And again, some of that went to your stimmy check, very small amount, but most of it went to the stock market. Right. And that brought forth this report that the Dow is having the best week it's had since 1938. Now I want to draw some attention there to the bottom headline that actually cuts off. But if you look closely, you can see maybe the tops of those letters it says more than 60 million Americans lose their jobs in three weeks. Let that sink in for a minute, right? So you got on top, the Dow, the stock market is just crushing it, right? It's, it's, it's having its best week in nearly 100 years, in about 80 years. Jason, it's and then, like the economy <laughs> does better when people are losing their jobs. How's that work? That must, that must be the <laughs> hack. That must be it. Like that's what that's exactly what the Fed's trying to do right now, right? Raising interest rates. They're looking for unemployment to rise to to basically gauge that the economy and inflation is it, the economy is doing better and inflation is coming down. Like people have to lose their jobs. How how is that a, a proper system? Why is that a system that we're using? That sounds horrible. <laughs> Absolutely, man. So that's that's why this image was something that I just needed to to get out in this episode. It's like I remember kind of going through the pages of this of this book and seeing that and it took me back to that time, you know, in the early stages of COVID, which was long before I went down like, you know, the the orange pill rabbit hole and was super into Bitcoin and, you know, everything was so chaotic. You you kind of just took the news at face value, but um yeah, pretty pretty crazy thing to see there. Yeah, super wild. This this next one, I believe, is covering... So for those that don't see that, you know, your $1 is still $1, this, this chart will probably be a bit shocking for you. This is the buying power of $1 over time. Um, let me move this over so you can kind of see the dates here. So... Tell us what, tell us your thoughts on this, man. Yeah. So, I mean, this graph here on, uh, on the X axis, right. We see it spanning from 2008 over to, to 2020 and, uh, on the Y axis there, it starts at a dollar dollars worth a dollar in, uh, in 2008 and 2020 it's worth 80 cents. So, I mean, Again, stop and let that think in. Think about what's sitting in your retirement account, right? Your 401k or, or your IRA account. Well, one, those accounts are probably down. They're probably looking not super attractive right now. I know mine's not. <laughs> so it's, it's, down any, it's down anyways. But the actual dollars themselves are down 20% over just a little over, well, now a decade and a half. And, and I'm sure that number has since decreased because- we don't see a whole lot of volatility here. We see a gradual, actually, I wouldn't even call it gradual. We see a steep downward slope, right? There's no up and down. And so it's really interesting to see when we think about retirement and, and Alec, you know, yourself and I, we're, we're millennials, right? Uh, it's like we see that our retirement accounts might be up 7% on the year, for example, 
They're not, by the way. <laughs> but but say that they are, right? And it's like, are we really outpacing the inflation that's happening? Are we really making gains, right? Even if that dollar figure that we remove at the age of 60 or whatever is higher, what's the purchasing power look like? And that's something we really have to think about. A 20% decline in a decade is is pretty staggering. Yeah. I mean, it's it's great if you know, your portfolio goes up 10%, but we're experiencing 10% inflation. So that, that gain is essentially a wash, right? Wash. Like you're, you're buying the same stuff with a larger amount of money. And that's, right. the, that's the problem. Right, exactly. And if you pop it over to the next slide here, and we can kind of tie these two things together. This is, this is really like a zoomed out, I mean, it begins roughly at Bitcoin's inception, a little after Bitcoin's inception. And Bitcoin, for, for those of you who don't know, was born out of the 2008 financial crisis. Um, in fact, the very first block mine kind of refers to a, a news headline that references the, the, the 2008 crisis, which is kind of cool. Uh, when you talk to big, excuse me, when you talk to people about Bitcoin, the word volatility comes up all the time right? We've seen it as high as 70,000. We've seen it go from 70,000 down to, I mean, where was it just back in November 22 after the whole FTX, FTX debacle went down as low as like high 15,000s, right? But if we zoom out and we look over virtually the same time period, here we're going in an even smaller time period, but 2010 to 2020, I mean, this tells it's this tells the story right so and it's kind of funny alec i, I was telling you the story just the other day it was thanksgiving i was together with some family and one of the family members i was talking to said like oh bitcoin's dead and at the time its price was sixteen thousand eight hundred, and i just had to laugh at that dead in reference to what in reference to the fact that at one point it was seventy thousand. Because if you look back to 2017, when Bitcoin shot past 10,000 for the first time, and it approached that 16.8 level or 17,000, and eventually it almost touched 20,000 before kind of crashing back down a little more. But when it hit that 17,000 level, nobody was thinking Bitcoin was dead. People were scared of what it was becoming, right? It was so powerful. Uh, and I think the term for that is like path dependence, right? We like to look at where it's been compared to where it is now. And if that happens to be that it was somewhere higher somewhat recently, we know in 2021, it hit almost $70,000. We know that in late 2022, it fell to $16,000, uh, roughly at a low. It's all about perspective, right? But if you zoom out, this is attractive. This is attractive to anybody. Right. Yeah, I, I mean, mean, it like if you have a short time horizon, Bitcoin's probably not for you. You know, that's why, you know, we're talking about people trading, gambling and shit coins like that's that's low time horizon thinking. You're looking at trying to make gains instantly. You know, one year the price is 70,000. The next year, you know, it, it touched 16, 15, whatever it was. But if you look at it now, even, you know, I, I'm sure you, like myself, were texting each other all the time buying dips. You know, yeah. if you bought 
from from the all time high at you know sixty nine thousand up to today, if you did a dollar cost average every single day, like you're in the green. You know, mm -hmm. I, I know I got into Bitcoin when the price was you know thirty to fifty thousand, but you know, I I know what Bitcoin will turn into. Like, look at a ten year time horizon. You know, we're we're saving money for the future here. We're not we're not trying to get rich today or tomorrow, right? I I just want to be able to save money and not have it decrease in value, right? It's pretty simple. Like that's yeah. that's all Bitcoin is to me is I want to put my money somewhere where it doesn't melt. Yeah. I, and, and I like I like that word melting, right? You think of like if you're if you have a savings account right now with fifty thousand dollars in it, it is an ice cube. It's a fifty thousand dollar ice cube that's melting. That's what it is. It's not gaining. You know that. So I think, Alec, to your point, like that's where the shift of mind happened for me. Okay. And if you talk to me in 2021, I was pissed at hell when it dropped from 70,000 to 30,000 after Elon fired off some tweets and some other things happened. Right. And I lost faith because I, I didn't have a deeper understanding of it. And I sure as hell was not looking at it as a store of value. I was a trader. And if you're a trader, and you're, you, you have that low time horizon and you're just trying to, to make quick gains, you're going to get really happy some days with Bitcoin and, and other days um, you're going to feel differently, very differently. But again, you zoom out and you look at one decade. And by the way, among that decade, what has Bitcoin overcome? Uh, China ban, right? Where like most Bitcoin was being produced. That was huge. Like it is repeatedly in the face of great adversity come out on top. And the price today, it's just below $30,000. Guess what? We're, we're six months past where it was $16,000. And that family member I was talking about made that comment. It's now double that. And every day I want to text him, but you know, Bitcoin's dead, bro. <laughs> yeah. You know, now, I think over the long term, you go back to that. It's like you look at what that 2010 price was. Nobody was taking it seriously. It was play internet play money. You have companies now like MicroStrategy going full Bitcoin. Like, wow. Uh, you have Jack Dorsey and Square, uh, you know, committing 1% of their balance sheet to it, which their balance sheet is huge. So that's a massive Bitcoin purchase. Like, I mean, the, these actions that you see happening out in the real world, like these, these speak for themselves, you know, and I do believe that we're headed towards a path now where, where this is going to become a global reserve currency. And you're, you're not just going to see like corporate investment, you're going to see state investment and that type of things happening already. When you look at like El Salvador, right? Yeah, there was there was just a new one. Uh, the kingdom of Bhutan, they were secretly stacking bitcoin and building out mining infrastructure for since before 2017 i think it was like absolutely crazy they kept it silent because if you look at el salvador like they were getting bashed by everybody the news the imf like you know michael saylor has uh by the way are we gonna let him buy all the bitcoin they have 140,000 <laughs> bitcoin guys you need to go stack some stats right yeah. now i don't have any because the, when companies come in, countries come in, there's not going to be much Bitcoin left. That price is going to be pretty high to get your hands on one. So 
I mean, yeah, the, the development going on today is is incredible. Um, you know, Bitcoin dying has been a story since its inception. There's probably over 800, you know, headlines calling Bitcoin dead at this point. You know, multiple different attacks recently, you know, New York Times, you know, articles about Bitcoin mining, the, you know, energy, fear, uncertainty, doubt, Um you know, every one of these attacks just seems to make Bitcoin stronger. You know, it's honestly the best marketing for Bitcoin since, <laughs> you know, Bitcoin's not a company. There's no marketing team. So every time the New York Times wants to come out and attack it, that provides us the opportunity to to spread and share the truth, to prove them wrong. And I think that's what brings more people to Bitcoin, increases everyone's understanding of Bitcoin because Obviously, we want to look at, you know, are what, what is what they're saying true? Obviously, it's not. If you look at look into it at all, do a slight bit of research, you'll you know easily find that all these narratives are just 100 percent false. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or missing a lot of information. Right. A lot of yeah. omitting of details. So, well, every time they want to pull a price chart, it's like, you know, in a one year span, pull the yeah. year chart. Is Bitcoin down? Like, we just did, no. right? Yeah, yeah. From from under a dollar to where it's sitting to, you know, today. Yeah, I don't think there's a single person that, if given the opportunity, wouldn't go back to 2010 prices and buy Bitcoin, right? That's it's just a no-brainer. <laughs> I think the biggest draw, though, you know. Um, and, and again, this, this is my big mind shift is like tying all of this together is like to, to pull yourself out of that, uh, that mindset of like, how, how do I make some short term gains, right? What can I throw money into? What's the new coin? What's the new meme thing going on uh, into like something that's really going to protect me from the dangers of inflation and th these dangers, you know, not, not to get all doom and gloom here, but like it, we are truly coming into like some unprecedented stuff, right? What we're seeing today is a result of what happened in 2020. Uh, Alec, like I've, I've talked to you about this for weeks. The most impactful thing I've read of, about Bitcoin at all wasn't about the potential of a price prediction in five years, right? The most impactful thing I read was that in three months of COVID, the outside of COVID in 2020, in three months' time, the Fed added more money, more liquidity, adding liquidity. I love that. Added printed, printed more money, added more money to the balance sheet than in the 240 years preceding 2020 combined. What? Mind. In three months. In three months. So we're seeing those effects now. Okay. That's why your parents could go buy a home for $50,000 in their 20s. And your $50,000 today gets you a, a, a top trim level Honda Civic. I think we That's have a, a chart 50, on this, right? Yeah. Pull it up. Pull Let's it up. This up here. Okay. This is, so this is on That's rent. rent inflation. There's, there's another one. I think if you go to the next one, it's, it's housing prices. But this is... They're both relevant, right? And like what we're told about inflation, we're told a lot of different things about inflation, right? First off, we have Jerome Powell telling us 
we're trying to get it to to 2%. And I think that itself is laughable. Like we're, we're trying to only debase your money by 2% each year. Like, Oh, sweet. We love it. 2% is great. I love to lose 2% of my money each year. (laughs) But (laughs) Right. And again, that's that like level of acceptance we have. Like we, we really do take that at face value. But Alec, if you go back to that, that housing chart real quick, um, we have kind of like this, this CPI, you know, uh, reference of overall inflation. And then we have like industry specific inflations, right? And you see here, like the consumer price goods index, like this is like your, your grocery purchases and things like that, right? We see the purchasing power has indeed dropped here 35% since, you know, ranging from 2000 to 2020. But look at the housing. 53%, right? Uh, there's, there's, uh, and if you go to that previous one, that showcases the same kind of thing with rent, right? This is, this is the rate at which rent prices are inflating versus overall inflation. Well, what do you think the news is talking about? Probably the more gradual slope, right? The CPI, like the inflation... Wonder- like what yeah. what's in that basket of goods for CPI? Like what what the heck is in there that they're only seeing 10%? If we have everybody needs to live somewhere. Like everyone's paying rent or or buys a house. Mm-hmm. Right? Is that included in that basket? It's a, CPI is just one of those those metrics that, you know, can just be you know, mess with so, so much like what they're picking and choosing what falls into that basket of goods. Are they, they are. leaving out like the most important things like a house? Like that's crazy. I mean, I, I, I think they're putting the most mild categories in there. So as much as it sucks to go to the grocery store and see my favorite brand of salsa that was, you know, $3 a couple of years ago. Now it's five fifty, and it's like, shit, man, I'm not going to spend five fifty on a jar of salsa. <laughs> you know, this is truly painful. This is what I feel every month. Rent costs, right? Like if you're a millennial and you don't own a home right now, good luck. Yeah. I mean, I feel fortunate. I was able to, you know, purchase a home myself because, you know, I don't, I, I couldn't see myself doing it today. And that was just a few years ago. Right. So just like you mentioned from, from 2020, like, we're just starting to feel these effects and it's insane. What is it going to be like in the next few years? Like, I don't, I don't know if this, you know, the, the capital controls that, that the federal reserve is doing, like, are, are they aiming to, to bring us back to a normal place? I just, I have a hard time seeing that happening when they, you know, 80% of the money supply was just created in the past couple of years. Like, there's going to be a new normal. And I think that normal is going to be pretty high inflation. I, yeah, I just don't see a way other than that. Yeah. I mean, when you talk about bringing us back to a normal place, like I don't think there is a going back at this point, right? Like we've done so much damage and it really began in, in 2008 for the first time, but man, 2020 was, was a different beast entirely. And it hasn't really stopped since that time i think it slowed for a while and i think like it's very much ramping up now in the wake of you know uh it's slipping my mind right now but who did uh, jp morgan just acquire they just bought out another bank right 
that's it. Yeah. So you have all this, this, this weird shit happening with banks and, and interest rates and stuff. And I think when you really just, again, just zoom out and try to keep it as simple as possible, because this is not designed to be simple. It, it is purposefully super complex. And even as, as I'm trying to describe it, there's a lot I don't understand about it. Right. But um, again, we think about like who's creating the money. It's the Federal Reserve. It's it's the world central banks that are getting the money first. Then they're lending it out to corporate banks. And the corporate banks are, are creating massive credit bubbles with that, lending it to companies that, that may or may not be able to pay it back. Right? And then on top of that, you, you factor in fractional reserve banking and the fact that you know banks are only required to hold 10% of your money that you're putting in and that the companies are putting in and they're going and buying these long-term treasury bonds. And it's like, Oh my God, dude, it's, it's just an absolute shit show, right? It's so convoluted. There is, there's, there's nothing to return back to. There is fractional, fractional reserve banking is just one of those topics that makes no sense. Like that's a requirement. There are, uh, Caitlin long trying to open up a bank called custodia. Um, that's a hundred percent backed and they're getting yeah. denied. Like that's yeah. not allowed. They're not allowed to actually hold your money. They need to take it. They need to loan it out. They need to try to make a profit. They need to buy us treasuries. They need to buy failing banks. Uh, you know, like it's, it's absolutely insane. And like to round this out and bring us back to, to Bitcoin, like you don't have to play in the system anymore. We, we have a way out. You have another option and that's, that's one of the most amazing things about it. So if, if you don't understand today's system, like it's not even worth spending the time to learn it. In my opinion, start learning about Bitcoin. You're going to pick up and understand the previous system from that point of view. But, you know, starting, starting the journey in, into Bitcoin is, is changed just about everything, you know, in my life to the way I think, you know, to, to the way I do spend my money, to the way I work you know, the way I'm spending my time, um, it, it makes you think about what's, what's truly valuable in life. Right. Um, you're not always just, just chasing, chasing gains, things like that. You're thinking, where can I put my time? Where can I create value? And every time you do spend, you know, is, is that value worth it? You know, is it going to something that is going to enrich your life? And, you know, that's, that's just one of the biggest things with the system we have right now is just so much money flows to things that just nobody needs, you know, failing companies are propped up, failing banks are, are bought and propped up, uh, or bailed out by governments. Like if a business is failing, why, why are you bailing it out? There's probably a reason it failed because it wasn't providing value. Right. Yeah. And Bitcoin and, and just doesn't it... allow for that. Is it, is it a free market? Is it actually a free market when we do those things, right? When we intervene, when we manage and just manage relentlessly. It's like that's, yeah. you ask people, what do you love about America? Oh, it's free market. Not really though, <laughs> right? There's a lot that's being controlled and managed and failures that should happen in the ecosystem are being prevented. And, and that's kind of the painful thing. We don't want to talk about like, well, when COVID happened, some of those businesses should have failed in a truly free market. And some of them should have and would have 
in my opinion, adapted and survived, right? Without being propped up. So anyways, yeah, there, there's a lot there, Alec. And uh, again, man, thank, thank you for sending me down the rabbit hole. And I think just to, to come back to a few key things, guys, like for me coming into Bitcoin, and I think the way a lot of people feel, especially if you go try to have a conversation with your parents about this, it's like, I don't understand blockchain. I don't know how it works. I don't get the technology. It's okay. It's okay. Like you learn those things as you go. I'm learning those things as I go. I text Alec once or twice a day, bugging him with questions about the technical aspects of it. And in future episodes, we're going to actually document our own learning processes. We're going to bring some people on and like kind of show you how we learn these things in real time. But you don't have to start with knowing all the technical aspects and then warm up to the idea of a sound, hard money. You start with the idea of adopting the idea of a, a sound, hard money with a fixed finite supply, with a fixed uh, a schedule of release, I guess, if you will, right? That none of this can be tampered with. It's fully decentralized. The network enforces it. The network protects it. And again, these are things we will go into later because I'm bordering on the technical aspects. But in short, there's no team of people. There's no singular person. There's no super powerful politician. There's nobody on planet Earth who can alter the supply of Bitcoin. It is the hardest money in existence. And that's all you need to know. And thus, we solve inflation, right? Beautifully put. Love it, man. Well, we've been chatting about 45 minutes today. I think it's probably about time to wrap it up. Um, you have any any other final thoughts before we, before we jump off? Honestly, I, I would say, you know, um, go read that book. Go read uh, Bitcoin, Hard Money You Can't Fuck With. It, it's a super great entry-level book. It's not going to get too into the weeds. It's not going to sit and like, throw a bunch of blockchain terms at you. It's really going to present things in just this high level problem solution format, kind of like this, this, you know, discussion has been really. And I would recommend also like checking out the Bitcoin standard. The Bitcoin standard spends about the first two thirds of the book, not talking about Bitcoin at all, but talking about the history of money. Is it a little dry? Yeah, it's a little dry at times. But it's good stuff to know because it put things in perspective for me. Uh, it taught me a lot about the properties of money and what makes a good store of value versus a really, really shitty store of value. And you will start to see quickly why we need something like this. And then at that point, we can start getting into the technical aspects. So go read one of those books. Read five, 10 pages a night and it'll start to draw you in. And that's how I want to close up. That's, that's kind of my closing advice for you. Absolutely. Love it. I mean, a lot of people don't read books, get audiobooks, whatever you need. Like, there's tons of great Bitcoin education out there. The bullish case for Bitcoin. I bought 14 copies of that, gave it out to a bunch of people for Christmas. I think you're like one of three people that read it, but um, <laughs> I, I was able to mint some new Bitcoiners out of it. So it was worth it. <laughs> I love the way you put that mint some new Bitcoiners. That was a good read as well. Uh, it's about 100 pages long. 
Um, things are kept pretty high level. It doesn't get too technical. So that's really where you want to start. Like, don't, don't try to go understand the technology first. Try to understand the use case, the need for it. 100% agree with you. Well, thanks so much, Jason. Looking forward to the next episode. We will kick off the outro here. Um, appreciate you guys for, for joining in for our first episode of Today I Learned Bitcoin really hope you enjoyed the show. I hope you learned something and have, you know, a few things that that you can take away. We're excited to bring on some guests and cover some of the Bitcoin topics you are interested in learning. So please drop a comment below. If there's some topics you want to learn about, we will find a guest to bring on. If you'd love to come on the show and teach us something about Bitcoin, please send a message, shoot a DM. Um, I will pop up our Twitter here. Find us on TIL-BTC on Twitter or on YouTube. Please subscribe, smash the like button, help us fight these algorithms. Uh, it's hard to push Bitcoin content out there, uh, but we appreciate you. Thanks for tuning in and we'll catch you on the next episode of Today I Learned Bitcoin.